morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word. If you're a guest with us today, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church, and it is just an honor to have you and your families joining us. Every single week in our gatherings, we come around the scriptures. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today, so we take these moments as a family to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how are we called to walk with the spirit of God each and every day. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to the book of Isaiah. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We're gonna have the scriptures on the screens, but let's begin to read this text together. A famous uh, Christmas passage, Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cherish these moments, moments to slow down, to quiet our hearts, to receive that which you would see fit for this time. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would help us to to quiet our hearts, to open our ears, to allow you to speak to the inner depths of our being. Whatever it is that we need from you today, Father, would you provide that? Would you encourage those who need to be encouraged? Would you bring peace to those who need to experience peace? We love you and your precious and your holy name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. This past week, my family, my wife's side of the family, all of them, we all got together and we rented an Airbnb to celebrate Christmas. One Airbnb, 25 people, 14 adults, one of them being pregnant, and 11 grandchildren under the age of six years old. I don't even need to explain what it was like because you already, you're doing such a great job in your minds already. Whatever you're thinking, yes, it happened. Was there screaming? Yes. Was there yelling? Yes. Was there crying? Yes. Did we wake up one morning and the water was off? Yes. All of the things that you could be thinking happened in this time. And I remember one moment in particular walking upstairs and I looked at my phone for a second and a friend of mine had texted me and they ended their text saying, I hope you're having a restful time celebrating Christ's birth. And I thought, what are you talking about? Do you know where I am right now? It was a bit chaotic. It was a bit loud. I think we're all still a little bit overstimulated from the time. And one of the words that I would not necessarily use to describe those three days would be the word peace. And I think about those three days, I think about my life right now as a father of three little ones. I think about just the world that is around us. And I do find myself asking the question, is the idea of peace even possible? I mean, is it possible to experience peace? And I think much like hope and love and joy, these words that we have talked about so far in this Advent series, 
Peace kind of fits in that category of feeling a bit elusive. So is peace possible to experience? And I think that really depends upon what you believe peace to be. In this series that we've been in, Pastor Taylor and I have been taking a moment each service and we have been doing like a compare and contrast of the secular vision of hope and love and joy and then we've been comparing that to the Christian vision. I wanna continue that framework for this morning. And here's what I would say about the secular vision of peace. It is a peace that is found in the absence of something. Think about that for a moment. It is a peace that is found in the absence of something. Secular peace is measured by an absence of negative experiences and negative circumstances. It's the belief that if I'm no longer experiencing anxiety and worry and pain and suffering and sickness, see, when those things are absent from my life, then I will begin to experience inner calm and tranquility and serenity. Secular peace often sounds like this statement. I will feel at peace once my external world is perfect. And I'm going to work so hard to make it perfect, to have perfect children and to have the perfect life and the perfect family and have everything great. And once I can achieve that type of a world, oh, then I will be at peace. And all of you realize how ridiculous that sounds, don't you? John Orberg says it like this that idea of feeling at peace once our external world is perfect, he says that's a great recipe for a healthy soul as long as you live in a perfect world. And as we all know that we do not live in a perfect world. And this pursuit of what I'm gonna call the secular myth of peace, it will leave you exhausted, it will leave you frustrated, it will leave you disappointed, it will leave you longing. But I believe that amidst the longing, there is an invitation on offer. An invitation to abandon the secular myth of peace that relies on our ability to control life circumstances and to eliminate all negative feelings. I believe there's an invitation for us today to mature beyond the myth of peace that is found in the absence of something. See, if the secular vision of peace is the absence of something, I would communicate the Christian vision of peace like this. It is not found in the absence of something. It is found in the presence of someone. And roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah began to prophesy of one who would come. And he prophesied and gave the designation, the name, that he would be the Prince of Peace. Going back to the text that we read this morning, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. This prophecy is about the arrival of Christ. And in this first part of verse six, we see these beautiful distinctions about who Jesus is. Catch the words that are being used. It's for to us, a child is born. A child, this is speaking of the humanity of Christ. But then it goes to say to us, a son is given. That is speaking to the divinity of Christ. This portion of scripture is actually beginning to formulate this idea of the doctrine of the incarnation, that we believe that God took on human form. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was fully God, yet he was also fully man. 
Now, the second part of verse six, it talks about his position, right? The, the government will be on his shoulders. And then comes these four unique distinctions or designations of Christ. That he will be the wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. He is what? The prince of peace. Now, Christ's designation of peace is not unique to Isaiah. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Look at the words of the prophet Micah, Micah 5.5. 5, and he will be the source of peace. Or Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus saying this, for he himself is our peace. Now, Jesus being called the source of peace, you need to understand this. It is not an empty designation, but it is established in reality. See, peace must be established. Something has to definitively take place in order for peace to come into existence. And we see in the text, we see in the scriptures, we see as the biblical story lays out what definitively had to take place in order for peace to come. Go further into Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse four and five. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Flip over to the New Testament, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, him being Christ. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by doing what? By making, by establishing peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what is the peace that Christ established? And first and foremost, we have to understand this about peace. Before we can connect it to certain types of feelings, we have to first and foremost realize that peace is first about our peace with God through what Christ did. That is the essential reality of peace that we have as Christians, as individuals who profess faith in Christ. Through what he accomplished on the cross, you can have peace with God. Paul says it like this to the church in Rome. Therefore, since we have been justified through what? Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the peace that Jesus offers is made up of words like reconciliation, justification, restoration, and adoption. And what we need to understand is that being at peace with God is essential to the human condition. Peace with God is essential to your flourishing as a human being. Peace with God is essential to your eternal reality. Before chasing any feelings of peace, first and foremost, have you come to the point of realization that creator God desires relationship with you and that must be manifest through your receiving of the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. First and foremost, it is about peace with God. But secondly, it's about the comfort through the presence of God. Yes, we can be at peace with God through what Christ did, but also there is a comfort that comes to us who are experiencing this. 
Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. But then key in on the words he says next. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. See, Jesus does not give us peace in the way that the world attempts to give us peace. By working to remove every difficult situation that you might be going through. No, see, what Jesus does is he gives us his presence, the Holy Spirit, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tribulation. And what this does is it provides for us a supernatural covering of comfort amidst life's difficulties. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the idea of hope. Jesus said the words that in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trials, you will have trouble. So as followers of the way of Jesus, we cannot escape difficult times. We do not get to sidestep pain. We do not always get to bypass the difficult diagnosis or have everything work out the way that we wanted. But what we do get is that in the seasons of discomfort, we can experience Christ's supernatural covering We can experience that, what is said, the, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And why this supernatural covering of comfort is so important is because I think what it does is it allows us to, to navigate and to operate in the way that we need to in order to begin to experience God's work in our life. What I mean by that is actually allows us to be real with what the heck is going on. I love this from the book, from the, uh, In the Cry of the Soul is what it's called. Authors said this, ignoring our emotions, which we love to do, is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into the reality. A reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. But friends, we mustn't do that. Knowing that difficulty is part of the human story, knowing that all things are not perfect in this time, that things will not be put back together fully until Christ returns. We have to sit in it a little bit and be real with the pain that we feel and we experience. But to do so under that protective covering of comfort, of being in the presence of God. This allows us to be real and authentic with our pain our sorrow and our frustration. See, under the protective covering of comfort, we do not have to ignore the unpleasant feelings that we have or try to sidestep or suppress our emotions. We're actually invited to feel them, to reflect on them, and then to respond to them under submission to Jesus Christ. Under this protective covering of his presence, we're invited to lament. That means we are allowed to passionately express grief and sorrow. I mean, if you scroll through, scroll, that is such a digital statement. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Let's get back to paper. As you flip through the Old Testament, as you go to the book of Psalm, you see over and over these 
incredible examples of just people lamenting. Some of it, in fact, is a little hard to read. There's a few moments where you're like, okay, David, did you really have to say it like that? But see, I think it's in there, it's in the text, it's in the scriptures so that we can see that that's actually part of the human story. It's part of our human condition to be real with the reality that guess what? There will be times where things will not be good in your life. There will be the times of difficulty. There will be the times of loss. There will be the times where you lose the job when you never expected that you would, but they were able to find someone who they can pay a little bit less money. There are those moments when you find out that maybe your spouse has not been as faithful as they said that they would be when they stood on the altar with you. And it's okay to feel the frustration and the pain. God, in fact, gives us those emotions. Or at least allows our body to feel those emotions. It's not like... God created humanity and then we started feeling these things like, oh, why did it make feelings? How did they figure this out? No, because when we feel our feelings, when we allow that to begin to articulate, it begins to speak something of what's taking place. And then we can be real with it and say, God, I need you in this moment. I need your supernatural comfort in the midst of this difficulty. So the peace of God first is the reality that we are at peace with God. And then secondly, we get to receive this supernatural comfort to be real in the midst of the pain, to be real in the midst of the difficulty. But then I think thirdly, we actually have an opportunity at hand. That those who profess faith in Christ, those who have received the free gift of salvation, those who are being real with the reality that life can be very difficult, but you are being faithful even in the midst of it, I think there's a great opportunity for you to be the type of person that God wants to use to comfort others. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I believe that those who are at peace with God through Christ, who are experiencing supernatural in the midst of life's difficulties, are poised to be used by God to comfort one another. Friends, we live in a difficult moment. And there are a lot of words that you could describe. There's a lot of people that you could kind of read their intellectual thoughts as to what is taking place in our world. But one of the pictures that I have kind of read into that um, really resonates with me is the idea that we live in a gray zone. And basically the the premise, it's from a, a pastor and author named Mark Sayers, but he talks about this idea that we are kind of in between eras right now. Kind of like there was the pre COVID era over here. And life was like, kind of seemed at least relatively fine. It wasn't as complicated as maybe things have been. And then this significant shift has taken place, but we're not kind of in the new era of like whatever the world is going to look like in the coming years. We're in this middle space and it's really difficult and it's really hard. And we're like having to try to learn how to navigate the midst of the difficulty. There's a one... Um, He's a Jewish counselor and rabbi, and he wrote this book called Failure of Nerve. 
And he talks about the idea that, you know, when, when society moves so quickly, which is what it's felt like in the last few years, that anxiety is just, it's the outcome of that. He even used the word that there's like this anxiety that all of us are feeling at some level. Because it's hard when things happen so quickly and change so fast, is it not? But the beautiful part about these gray zone moments is yes, they're difficult, and yes, they're challenging, and yes, they can be disorientating, but also they are filled with opportunity. Opportunity for those who love Jesus to then be Jesus to the world. And so I wanna talk for just a few moments of four areas that I think that we can bring comfort to one another. The first way is that we bring comfort to one another through peacemaking. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus would say this on his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The Apostle Paul to the church in Rome says this, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are called to be peacemakers in the world. We're not called to add to the divisive nature of the world, but we're called to look for opportunities to bring peace. I love this from Tim Keller. He wrote a great book called Hidden Christmas. He says, peacemakers are people who through making peace with God have finally learned how to admit flaws and weakness, how to surrender their pride, how to love without the need for control in every situation. These new skills have enormous power to do what? To diffuse conflicts, to facilitate forgiveness, and to uh, reconciliation between people. Christians should be fanning out into the world being peacemakers, agents of reconciliation among the races and classes, among members of families, and between neighbor and neighbor. Peacemaking looks like diffusing conflict. When you enter into your workplace and there is a culture of gossip and everybody's always backbiting one another, you actually enter into that space and you try to do your best to diffuse conflict, maybe by speaking words of encouragement. Or maybe for you it's the need to facilitate forgiveness. I believe that there are people in this room right now where you have such a difficult time with the holidays because it is that one moment where you finally allow yourself to realize that it's been a long while since you reached out to your parent. And you even backtrack and you think about those, those moments growing up and the sweetness of this time, but then for whatever reason, there's now conflict in the family and now you're avoiding one another. Let me tell you this lovingly, as a believer in the way of Jesus who should be spiritually forming, you need to step into those moments and you need to forgive. Or you at least need to approach the conversation. We don't get to play the way that the world plays. We have to step into the maturity that we have on offer as followers of the way of Jesus. We need to diffuse the conflict situations. We need to lead into these moments to facilitate forgiveness. We need to do our best to help see reconciliation take place, not to continue to add to it. There is plenty of individuals who are making their life trying to just pull us apart as people. That ought not to be the vision for the church. We have to figure out a way to step into the complexity of this time. And don't get me wrong, it is deeply complex right now. 
but to slowly in the presence of God to enter into the complexity of this moment and begin to do our best to see reconciliation take place. Second part of comfort is we bring comfort to one another through presence. There's something about stepping into people's pain with them. To not be afraid of it, to not be discouraged at how messy it can be, to not even be concerned that you have nothing to say. Sometimes don't say a dang word, just be there. One of the things I think that we can do as followers of the way of Jesus is that as we experience the comfort and the peace that God has, as we dwell upon that, I think that we can become what some people call a non-anxious presence where we actually enter into really difficult moments and just because of our countenance, because of who we are in Christ, because we are secure in our identity, because we are not there to manipulate the situation or get something for our ego out of the situation and we can just be, it can transform moments for people. And it's not always just sometimes being present, you know, even physically, I think just making one another aware that we are aware of one another, if that makes sense. Like for instance, my dad yesterday, he texted me. He said, I know you've had a busy week and Jesus knows that, but the Holy Spirit will be with you tonight. I will be praying for you, see you tomorrow, love you, Philippians 4, six through seven. Now he said, see you tomorrow, I don't see him today, but that's beside the point. He'll probably come to 11 o'clock, but... If he doesn't, he's in trouble because then he's lying. (laughs) So we bring comfort through presence. And then I think we bring comfort to one another through prayer. I love the story of Jesus when he is with his disciples and they they get into this boat. And you probably know the story in in the, uh, the book of Mark. And Jesus falls asleep on a pillow, as the text tells us. And then this raging storm comes, right? Let's actually, let's read this together. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, I think this is a beautiful text because first and foremost, it speaks to the reality of who Christ is. And I wanna be so careful not to like speak into text or speak in ideas of the text that may not be there. But I do think there's something unique about this of Jesus speaking to the storm. And I actually would, I would step out in faith enough to say, I think that we are invited to speak into the storms of people's lives. I think that's actually a call for the church is to be aware of what is taking place in one another's lives in order for you to speak to that situation. And there's, I think, a really easy framework that you could follow. The, the first one, if you're gonna, if you wanna kind of lean into this, if you wanna start looking at moments and situations in people's lives, if you wanna pray for them, here's a really simple framework for you. Number one, begin your prayer with a declaration. And just say, God, you are able to move in this situation because of who you are. Just make that declaration. And then secondly, you make a petition. And so, God, we ask that you would move in this situation. 
We ask that you would heal this body. We ask that you would heal this marriage. We ask that you would do something significant in the life of this person. But then the third part is sometimes the more difficult part, and that's the part of surrender. But God, we just yield all of this to you. But church, let's start speaking to the storms of one another's lives. Let's start praying for one another, praying over one another. The last one I would say is this, bring comfort to one another through proclamation. I get it that the way that we operate as Christians should lead people to ask the question about the hope that is within us. But can I just be honest with you? I want people to see Jesus in my life, but I also wanna be using my words to speak as to who Jesus is. Friends, we need to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be speaking out into the world that there is one who loves you. There is one who died for you. There is one who has secured your eternity if you want that. And we need to be bold in these times. We need to walk in a, a, just a deep sense of confidence in these moments. I think at times there's like this timidity. And let me tell you, I'm not talking about us being aggressive. I'm saying you do this in compassion. You do it in mercy. But please, we need to be proclaiming the good news of Christ's coming. Especially around Christmas. This is our time. This is our moment. I know that the TV wants to tell you that this is a time to go into debt and buy BMWs for your family, but I'm telling you, that's actually not it. By the way, are those commercials ridiculous? Like, who, who does that? Some of you are like, oh, gosh. <laughs> don't follow me on Instagram on, Sunday, on Christmas morning. You might see. Proclaim the good news. Allow comfort to take place through your willingness to pray and to speak to the storm in one another's lives. Allow the comfort of God to first take over you and then go and be a presence to others. There's great opportunity at hand for us, church, but we have to step into it. So here's what I wanna do. I actually want us to step into a moment and a little bit different than what we might typically end a service, we're gonna take communion together. Because again, this all kind of stems from the reality of us being at peace with God. And so I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward and they can begin to pass out the elements. Here's my invitation to you. Uh, first and foremost, go ahead and once the plate is passed, take your elements. I will say this, that if you are not a believer in the way of Jesus, that is okay. I'm glad you're here today but you also don't have to participate in this, which might actually ease a lot of your nerves right now. You can just let the, pay, the, the plague go by. No worry, no shame. But I'm gonna invite you to hold on to that. And what I wanna see take place in the next number of minutes is I want us just to sit. I want us to reflect. I'm actually going to invite you, if you want, that in the midst of this time, and the worship team is gonna sing over us, if you maybe as a family or maybe you as a community or you have some friends with you, if you want to take communion together at this time, you're more than welcome to. You don't have to wait for me to take it at the end. If you just would feel led in this moment, please do that. I'm also going to invite some of our team to be kind of just down here at the front.
And if there's something that you maybe need prayer for, maybe you're desperate for peace this morning, you're desperate for comfort, we would love to pray with you. So we'll have people down front to pray. You can sit, you can be silent, you can maybe have a quiet moment for the first time in a week. Take communion in your seat amongst yourself if you'd like to, but I'll also come up the end and lead us uh, for those who might wanna wait. But let's just see what God might wanna do in these moments.